You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scripture for tonight is what we read earlier. It's from Psalm 47. We'll, see, we'll read that real quick. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Sorry, I was still having a wardrobe malfunction here. Um, My name is Casey. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Free City, uh, Free City Camping Church now. And uh, man, if you've never been with us before, we're really glad you came out on this weekend. And uh, we were really worried it was going to be incredibly hot, uh, but the wind only causes trouble for people with sheet music, and so we can enjoy that. And, uh, you know, we, we on, on, over and over, we want to express, you know, our purpose, that we exist uh, to declare the glory of God um, by making disciples through the power of the gospel. And what that means is in whatever form that we can, uh, we want to come together to encourage one another with song, under prayer, and uh, with the teachings of the scriptures. And right now, uh, we're, we're currently in a series where we're just walking through the Psalms. And some of that is, uh, it's just, it's a little bit easier for us now, so I can have people ready kind of in the future in case uh, I have to get tested for COVID or something happens, uh, and we can work out of order. But also, it's such a timely thing because we're going to be going through extreme emotions in the Psalms. You know, in book two, which is where we were, where we are right now, starting chapter forty-one, um, it kind of parallels. A lot of commentaries think it parallels with David's life, and so we're entering in to a joyous moment of David's life, where he is coronated king. And so it's almost like this is the soundtrack uh, of the movie. If this was the movie of First and Second Samuel, First Samuel would have gone with the first book of the Psalms, and now Second Samuel has dawned, but like the mode of the, or the emotion of the movie is going to change. Like if you're familiar with the Psalms at all, like right now we're in kind of this celebration moment, but Psalms 51 and David's great failure is coming. And so one one thing that we want to practice with the Psalms is that whatever the emotion is, we want to try to enter in it. And some great questions to always ask is to say this, like with the Psalms, try to identify what's going on in the singer's heart. Like what is he feeling? What is he thinking about his life, his circumstances? What is he thinking or she thinking about God? And then just ask this question. Has there ever been a time that I felt like that or I thought like that? And then you could take it one step further, you know, Christologically to bring it forward. Do I know of a time that Jesus felt like that or maybe even thought like that? 
And so trying to enter in, and I almost didn't even know what to do with this psalm because this psalm is so joyful. Like we've kind of been in like bad newsville, and I almost just kind of looked at it. I was like, well, I guess we could just read it. But looking at it over and over again, I have something to do with it. I was uh, speaking at a youth camp uh, in Easter, Oklahoma back in the day when I was young, but I'm not young anymore. Um, and uh, just youth camp. And like I didn't have all that much to do. I just spoke in the evening. Oh my goodness. We'll just shut that. And so during the day, I decided to help out and they let me drive a boat. I was a boat operator. And so basically my job was we put all the kids in life jackets because we didn't want anyone to actually die. And then I got to punish kids to the best of my ability. And they loved it. Like they wanted more and more. We'd put them out on the tube and literally I'm trying to kill them. I mean, literally, I mean, I would get, if if a kid was hanging on for more than a couple passes, like I was personally offended. And so it wasn't without effect. Like it wasn't without risky moments. You know, I threw a couple middle school boys off and they came up and one said, I lost my pants. And it was this moment of like, okay. But they, they came back to the top. We retrieved the pants and we were good. But later in the day, and I had an, another guy with me, one of my friends, his name was Chris. He's a little bit older than me. And he worked uh, with student ministries across the state, but this was his you know, student ministry that he worked with. And, and we were kind of picking up some kids, eight middle schoolers in the boat. And all of a sudden, the, uh, thro- or the, the ignition cable starts to short out. And so if you've ever experienced something like that, it starts to short out. It flares up on one side, and then it's like mission impossible. It keeps flaring and burning back, and the battery gets hot. And so like I've actually experienced this once. I grew up with a really cruddy boat, and so stuff like this was always happening. And so like I'm driving. This happens. It dies. And Chris goes, what do we do? I say, unhook the battery. And so, I mean, like MacGyver, he rips open the engine compartment, starts to unhook the battery, but it's hot. And he goes, it's hot. And so I yell, take off your shirt. And so he takes off his shirt. I'm like, man, I have power right now. This is incredible. And he unhooks it. And so like, if we just summarize this, middle school kids at risk, fire in a boat, Chris rips off his shirt and saves the day. And so it was a moment where like, man, I got to commemorate this in the sermon that night. And so I worked it in. I mean, like I'm working it in now. And, you know, but the problem was it was Chris who tore off his shirt and saved the day. Like I have to work myself in a little bit more. And so I made my part a little bit more heroic. You know, like I knew what was going on, tear off your shirt. And I made a reference to Nelly's getting hot in here. And so, I mean, I just kind of worked it all around. And, um... Man, later that night, I was sitting with Chris, and it was, it, I remember it was just a great night. We were sitting afterwards, and he asked me this question. He says, why do, you, uh, why do you feel like you need to make yourself the hero of the story? And I remember thinking, because I have the microphone, that's why. But man, that kind of that cut, like, like that's a reflective moment. Like, that's a moment of what I think about God's redemptive work, what I think about my identity, like, what I think about what people are going to perceive about me. Like, God actually used that moment to try to turn some things over in my life. And when we look at this, like, in turning that over, like, I also have a propensity to become dismayed by seeing the only strength available to me is mine. 
I have the propensity to work stories around in such a way that make a lot about me or my effort. I have a propensity to really start to take on a lot of anxiety because I think maybe something is up to my strength or my intelligence or or my wisdom. Like I have a propensity to work God out of the equation or to put him as only part of the equation. Like a propensity, like I'm going to get up into heaven and I'm going to like fist bump God and like we did a really good thing down there. When this says all glory will be God's. I have a propensity to work all the details around to make much of me. And as for the Christian, this says all praise should be pulled toward the person of Jesus, toward God himself. Like this text is about God's commanding victory on our behalf. And like, what are we going to do in the aftermath of, we are going to celebrate his commanding victory. It's not going to be like, hey man, we did a good job. It's going to be like, I can't believe what you accomplished. I can't believe what you did. You know, a, a lot of commentaries So I mentioned this just previously earlier, like when they talk about this section of the psalm, really the first and the second book of the psalm, there's five books of the psalms, a lot of commentaries, not all, and so this is what like theologians argue about, but they look at this and they say, man, the first book of psalm, it kind of parallels the emotions and what's going on in 1 Samuel. And so if you remember like the relationship with David and, and, and King Saul, like King Saul is constantly trying to kill David, and David is constantly fleeing away. And so we get to the end of the first book of Psalms, and we have, you know, Psalms 39. And in Psalms 39, like, what we see is maybe, like, the music that would go along as David is forced to run away and live among the Philistines and even say he's doing raiding for him. And we hear this kind of thing in Psalms 39, verse 12. It says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers." And so like this cry that he's like, I'm physically a sojourner away from all that, in who, that I know. I'm relationally a sojourner away from all whom I know. And then even like maybe in this moment he feels, I'm a spiritual sojourner. Where are you? You have abandoned me. Like this song is reflective or could be reflected of that time. Or, or we, we jump ahead, and so toward the end of se- or 1 Samuel, in 31, you know, King Saul dies in battle with the Philistines. If you remember, there were several times that David had an opportunity to kill him, and his men would say, take his life now. We're tired of sleeping, you know, in caves. And he's like, I will not lift my hand against the anointed. So King Saul is wounded in battle. He looks at his arm bearer and says, they are going to torture me. You kill me. And so he dies in chapter 31. And then we have this in Psalms 40, the end of the first book. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. All the times that he said, no, I won't do it, I'll trust God, I waited patiently upon the Lord. And then we enter into 2 Samuel. King Saul is dead. David is made king over Judah and then Israel. And all of a sudden, the, the, the tone changes. You know, Psalms 41 is reminded, it says, blessed is the one who remembers the poor. Like as a king, when you have power, you need to remember that you don't get to make up the rules. You're a reflection of the rules. 
And then it goes on, you have like Psalms 42 and 43, and they're personal laments over the brokenness on the inside of us. Even the king has brokenness inside. And then you have like Psalms 44, and it's a corporate lament of the brokenness on the outside of the institutions and the nation itself. It's a call for help, and the help comes in the form of a king, which is very messianic. Like it looks forward, but we also see the coronation of David. And then in Psalms 46 is this precious promise for all people who look God. It says, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. That's what we looked at last week. And then this week, after David is made king, he starts conquering all the nations around him. And you could read about this in 2 Samuel 6 through 10. But we get to sing about it in Psalms 47 and 48. You know, things like this, because in 2 Samuel chapter 6, what happens is after they win this decisive battle against the Philistines, what happens is to try, in triumph, they bring the Ark of the Covenant back. And we read this in verse 15. It says, so David on the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord. And then you heard this kind of phrasing, with shouting and with the sounds of the horn. And if you look at this psalm in verse 5, it says this, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Like these are to parallel like if you have the movie of 1st and 2nd Samuel, this is the super cool soundtrack that goes with it. And we get to see some of these emotions come out. This is a victorious moment. You know, most scholars, they do believe there's some sort of correspondence here of the highs and lows of David's life. And at some time, I firmly believe that these point forward to Jesus, not just an earthly king, but a greater king who will also have highs and lows. And yet he will establish a forever kingdom without the failings of sin. And so what I'm going to do with this text is I just have two points. We're going to first look at like this idea, can I see? Can I see God in this? Can I see God in the victory? Can I see God holding on to the troubles of my life and coming through? Can I see? And then the second thing we're going to look at is can I sing? And I know I was so jacked up when that got alliterated, see and sing. And so write that down. And so first, can I see God in it? And so it just says this, clap your hands, all people shout to God with a loud song of joy. And when it says all people, like this is a command and it's also prophetically pointing ahead to the end of time, like a Revelation 7, when it says all nations and languages will be present. And so this is an invitation, not just for the Hebrew people. Like this is looking forward and it says all people will clap their hands. All people will be able to get in. Like there's gonna be an invitation for all and there will be representatives of all, all people. And we see it again in verse nine. Look down at verse nine. It ends with the princes of the people gather as the people of God, of Abraham. Like it's not just they're gathered to clap. They're now included. The people of God, of Abraham. All peoples, all languages. The excitement of that diversity, the excitement of the, the moving of the gospel that's out. Like this hadn't happened yet. And this was a promise from like to Abraham, all nations will be in your line. Like you'll be a blessing to all of them. And this is a moment in the Psalms where he says, the conquering king, everyone's gonna celebrate that. 
And so it opens up and it begs this kind of question. Like we get to see this as both a command and a prophetic pointer that there will be representatives of all nation in the fan section of God celebrating his glorious victory over sin, Satan, and death and all that is broken in this world. Like the question is, are you in that fan section? Like, like, are you waiting for him to crush all that is wrong in this world? Like, do you celebrate the victories of God's truth going out? Do you see yourself a part of that? And not a part of it in the way like, man, we did a good job. A part of the way that you are honored to be an image bearer and to take the good news of the gospel to other image bearers. Like it's saying, clap your hands, all people. And then verse two, it picks up. It says, for the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Like if you look back in chapter 46, verse 10, like we see this kind of point. It says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Like those are commands going out where God is saying, I will be this. And this is kind of the declaration of it. The Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. And then verse three, it says, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. You know, the NASB, like when it translated, it, it translates this in the present tense. And so it's not he subdued, it's he subdues. Like the active participation and movement of God in our life. He is still subduing. And so like the idea of like conquering a people, bringing them in. And we saw in verse 46 that, you know, for all who will like forsake their people and join him, it says he will desire them like this beautiful invitation. He's still subduing. Like what an incredible reminder for us. God is working in us and through us for his good, redemptive works. You know, even stepping back and looking at verse two again, where it says, for the Lord, the most high is to be feared. Like the idea to be feared is this, that man, out of all the things that we don't want to disappoint, or all the people that we don't want to disappoint, man, we don't want to disappoint him. Like there's a weight of him in our lives that is important to us. And then the subduing nature, like the good news of that is like your struggles are in the hand of God. They're not in your hands alone. And we get promises like that in Philippians 4, 13, that God can do all things through, you know, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. And that's not just something that we do for sporting events. Like the context of that is the apostle Paul saying, I know what it's like to be wealthy. I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be well-fed. This is what I know. God can still accomplish all things. Like I can still have the security of God that he got me to it. He'll get me through it. Like it's not just for a coffee mug. Like your struggles are in God's hands. It also means this, like your pain is shared with God. In, in Acts 9, in the conversion moment of, of Saul, you know, also Paul, he didn't necessarily change his name. It's just the, 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 the Greek form of it. And so, you know, Paul, he's persecuting the Christians in Acts 9. God shows up and blinds him and he says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, man, I am not persecuting you. I would never pick on someone of your stature. I mean, who are you? And he says, man, I'm Jesus. 
But what the beauty, the beautiful thing in that is that he was persecuting the church. He was persecuting Christians and God stood with them. And Jesus said, when you persecute them, you persecute me. Like God shares your pain. Like if you're a Christian, this promise is that God has subdued it and God is presently subduing all struggles and all pains in our life. And it will be the outcome, not where we get to them like, man, we did a good job, where it says, man, all glory and praise be to you. And then it moves on, look at verse four. It says, he chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. And then it says, Selah. And I want to work with just three things there. First, like a, a heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, and then the command of Selah. We need to contemplate this. And so first, like he chose our heritage for us. It refers to the promised land. And so he's saying that as God's people came out of the wilderness, they didn't say, man, I really want this land. God said, this is the land I'm going to give you. And it was the right place. God made a place for him and it was right. And the promise now extends to us that God is still currently making a place for us in his kingdom and it will be right. And so he says, he chose our heritage for us. But even though God chose that, like if you know anything of the story, they still struggled to occupy it. And Christian, for us, like, listen to that. God has destined you to be like Christ. He's going to accomplish that. But is there not a horrible struggle in that as you fight the flesh? But he's chosen a heritage for us. And then, you know, the next phrase, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. That, that means Israel, a people whom he chose to place his love upon. And now we're included in this. We're a part of all people's. As the church, like the big C church, all people at all places at all times who trust in Jesus, like we're included in this. We believe that if we accept, if we look at Jesus and we see him as the God man who came uh, to pay our sin debt upon the cross and rose again, we are included in the family of God. That's what Romans 11 really pours out. But look at what it says. It says, whom he loves and the pride of Jacob. It's not like this love is like, man, they are so pathetic. Someone's got to love them. Like, it's just like fatherly pride. You know, it's something that wells up. Like, even when you do silly things, like... Right now, uh, one of Cruz's favorite games with some of his friends, he goes over to their house. They've got three brothers. You know, he's got three sisters. And so he gets to be like a boy boy over there. And they've got these 11-inch action figures, not dolls, action figures. And the favorite game of it is they take it and they throw it up in the tree, trying to get one stuck in the tree. And then when one gets stuck in the tree, you take the other action figures and you like tomahawk throw them up, trying to, you know, rescue the one that's stuck up in the tree. They play it for hours and out. They love it. Like he'll be like, hey, I want to go play the, the doll throwing game. I'm like, it's not a doll, okay? Um, and he just wants to play. And like, there's something like if I walked by just neighbor kids playing that, I think I would think it was cool. I was like, man, that's a fun game, you know? But like when I see them playing it, it's just like, it's extra cool. It's almost like this pride of like, man, that's what you do when you're bored, but you want to throw something. Like, Something that wells up. It's not just like a pity love. It's something that happens in a father's heart. God looks at you and he says this. He chose a heritage for you. 
that it's the pride of Jacob whom he loves. And then we have the term Selah, which means you need to think about what this means in your life. God is subduing all struggles and all pains for a certain victory in his purposes, in his kingdom for all peoples who are born to him through trusting in Jesus. Is that you? Is that you? Like, do you see God within your difficulties? Do you see God as trustworthy within your pain? Is he able to use in even this for his glorious ends? Like, where do you see God? Is he absent somewhere in heaven, not doing anything? Or can you see even in the struggles that he is conquering and he is doing? First question, do you see? And then it, it turns to do you sing? Like, can I sing God praises for it? Like, look at this, verse five. It says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpets. Like, this is the exact wording in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 15, when they're bringing the, you know, the, the representation of God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant. They're bringing it into to Jerusalem and they're all shouting. And that's, you know, the moment like David's like dancing and he's like, I'll get even more indignified. Um, and so, but like, like it says, God has gone up with a shout. God is parading into Jerusalem as all the people celebrate the peace of God and the presence of God. And it says, God has gone up with shouts of joy, the Lord with a sound of the trumpet. And look, look at what follows. Look at what we're commanded to do. Sing praises. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Like verse 6 actually only has three words. It uses uh, the verbal form of how we get the words psalm, zamar. I mean, the zamar is the verbal form. And so it means like psalm. Like you could say it like that, the action for verb of psalm. And so it says psalm God Psalm, Psalm King, Psalm. Sing God, sing King, sing. He says, this is something that when we see the presence of God being paraded into Jerusalem, he's like, everyone should sing. A victorious peace has come. We must sing praises to our God King. And then verses eight through nine, as we kind of land this plane, like we're going to build of what this is seeing. It says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people, once again, this opens up. The princes of the people, all these nations and languages, the princes of the people gather as the people of God, of Abraham. And then this curious phrase, for the shield of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Now, what I think what the shields of earth means, I think it means anything that we find hope, rest, or encouragement from. Like, it's ultimately a gift from God. Like, these aren't ultimate things. Like, they don't provide sovereign hope or, or deifying hope and encouragement and rest. But they're gifts from God that we can find rest in. You know, like, families coming together to eat dinner together to reconcile the day. Like, man, that crow's back. 
like families coming together. Like the beauty of that, like coming together to like talk about how the day went wrong and to talk about how the day went right, to ultimately gird yourself around a liturgy of God working, of subduing all of those things, the good things and the bad things. God has promised to subdue them. That's a shield in this earth. It's a shield in this world that sadly a lot of people don't experience. But it's a shield. It's not sovereign. It's not that it, it's going to fix everything alone, but it's a good gift that God gives. Or, or, or government when it functions right. You know, the Bible says the government is supposed to reward those who do good, punish those who do evil, and protect the vulnerable. Like that is a good shield when that is done right. Or the church, like, like the local church, like it is God's new people in this world when they gather together to worship God and remind one another what he has done for us and what it means. And then like a Galatians 6, to bear one another's burdens. Like that, that's financial help. That's, that's help with things when things are difficult. That's also like telling your story to one another that you might be able to sift through it to find God subduing all things under your feet for his good purposes. It's a good shield that God has put in this world. There's lots of things like, I mean, medicine, redemptive work, like sanitation, like just sanitation. The majority of the world didn't have toilets that flushed. Like you flush that and that goes away. Like people are saved because like good things. Education, this could go on and on and on. These are good shields in the world that are given to us by God. But there is only one absolute victorious shield. And I, I think with all my heart that this psalm is pointing forward to a coming king. You see, Psalms 47 is celebrating when the presence of God was paraded into Jerusalem, indicating that the presence of God and victorious peace that God subdued for his people was now there. Like that happened in 2 Samuel 6, and this is celebrating that. But I think it's also pointing forward to when not just the presence of God would be paraded into Jerusalem and proclaiming a peace which was God subdued for his people, not just the presence of God, but the person of God. When the person of God be paraded in Jerusalem, proclaiming a peace which God would subdue for his people. And we read about in Mark 11, actually in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all quote um, from Zechariah, you know, about the triumphant entry. They all saw that as something noteworthy and fulfilling the promise of a Zechariah 9. And so this is what happened. It says, and they brought the cult to Jesus and he threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leaf branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You see, a king riding on a donkey was a symbol of peace. Jesus, the person of God, rode into Jerusalem proclaiming that he would subdue sin, Satan, and death for us. 
that he would bring a peace with God, subduing all those things under his feet. And so it is done, but it's being done, like a subduing. And the crowd yelled, Hosanna, meaning save us. You see, to be a Christian, you have to look at Jesus as the person of God who's come to subdue and is subduing all the undoings of a world and say to him, save me. When you do that, you enter into the family of God to become a Christian. You must do that. There's no other way to see Jesus that, that, that saves you. You can't see Jesus as just a good teacher. You can't see him as someone who was a good example. You have to see him as God who put on flesh, the God who was born a virgin, the God who came to live among us and died in our place and was rose again. That's how the subduing happened. God, save me. And the question before us is, have you done that? Have you gotten to the end of like your efforts? The end of trying to make sense of your difficulties, whether it's outside or within the mess of your life and just said, God, save me. And if you are a Christian, this is what happens daily that you look at the realities in the world around you and the realities inside of you and you say, God, save me. Because we don't get to heaven and say, man, we did it, God. We get to heaven and we say things like this, sing God, sing my king, sing God. You subdued everything. This victorious psalm, this victorious psalm is a message of God entering in and bringing peace and the rejoice that we have because we're a people who can't save ourselves. Let me pray for us. Jesus, Lord, even as we are Christians and after we're Christians, even as we grow and we mature in our faith, Lord, there is such a strong desire and a strong belief that says, I've got this. And Lord, it's in those moments of trials and difficulties when we realize I don't have it. And sometimes we just double down and we try harder. And Lord, what happens is our heart gets embittered. We start to take like the failings around us. We start to press that against the character of God. And we haven't just said this, Hosanna, God, save me. And so there wasn't a Selah at the end of this section and I think there wasn't a Selah because it was saying at this moment, like there's a victorious moment, this will be done. But like for us, we should have this moment of a contemplate that. Where do I just need to say, God, save me? You see, for, for some, like it's saying it for the first time. Like maybe you've been around Christianity for a long time. Like, like you've done like a lot of Christian things, but you've never just looked at Jesus and said, save me. If you say that in your heart, Romans 3, it tells us that God will save you. Or maybe there's something in your life that needs subduing, and man, it just hasn't been subdued. And you've tried so many things, but just, you haven't just humbled yourself and asked someone just to pray for you and say, would you just pray that God would work in this and he would subdue it? Would you just pray, God, save me? And so as we sing and we close out, 
this evening. We will have people on both sides, kind of over to the sides. And if you just want to ask someone about some area of your life, or you have questions about salvation, whether that's God save me presently, or whether that's God save me like from something in my life, like we just invite you to pray with them. If you want to pray with someone who brought you, man, pray with them. It doesn't have to be pretty. God, save me. Lord, we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.